0: Hello and welcome to What's The Story? We're an inquisitive bunch of hosts from the What's The Story team on a mission to uncover stories about faith and courage from everyday people. And to help us do just that, we get the privilege to chat with amazing guests and delve into their faith journey, the hurdles they've overcome, and the life lessons they have learned along the way. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and sign up for our newsletter on our website, which is whatsthestorypodcast.com. It's your direct line to the latest episodes and detailed show notes, and they all get delivered straight to your inbox. And the best part, it's absolutely free. What's the story is brought to you by Crowd Church. We understand that stepping into a traditional church might not be everybody's cup of tea. And that's where CrowdChurch steps in, providing a digital sanctuary, a safe space to explore the Christian faith where you can engage in meaningful conversations rather than just simply spectating. So whether you are new to the Christian faith or are in search of a new church family, we invite you to visit us at www.crowd.church. And if you've got any questions, just drop us an email at hello at crowd.church. We're here to help and would genuinely love to connect with you. And now, without further ado, Let's meet your host and our very special guest for today.
1: I'm Anna Kettle. Today, I am joined by the lovely Jessica Weeks, who's a good friend of mine, and our guest interview for today. Jessica Weeks is the founder of Hannah's House, which is a charity based in the West Midlands. That provides refuge for families who've experienced any kind of baby loss jess and her husband andrew set up the charity after the death of their own baby daughter amelia in 2017 which happened when their eldest daughter hannah was only two since then they've also experienced further mis- miscarriages and have added two further boys to their family jessica's story is an amazing one of uh, triumph over grief and it's been featured in Uh, national magazines and local media alike and her charity work for Hannah's House has also received awards and recognition by professional organizations such as Ladies First Professional Development and Women Hey. Um, Those of you who already know my story know that uh, pregnancy loss is also a subject but very close to my own heart too um, as a fellow baby loss mum so I'm really excited to have Jessica on the, the show today and to be talking to, her, and I hope you're going to be inspired by this conversation too. So, Jess, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on today. Hi, Anna. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm excited about this conversation. So, I guess probably um, we should start from the beginning of your story, uh, which is sort of the beginning of your sort of journey of faith and how you became a Christian, or, or when did it become real to you, and sort of start there, and then work on through. So, tell us a little bit about your journey
2: in space. Then, how did how did that work for you? Well, I grew up in a Christian household and a Christian family, extended family. My grandparents, um, Jesus, and the church has always been the forefront in our family. Um, I remember being quite young when I made a commitment to live for Jesus. And, uh, yeah, life was good. And then I came to Coventry in 2000 to come to university. And it was the start of a period of making some really poor life decisions. <laughs> um, I completely backslid, uh, had various inappropriate relationships. Um, I actually got to a point where I thought I just can't go on like this anymore and I just had a couple of years where I just focused on friends and family um and it was going, you know, really well in, in that time and I became friends with a colleague. Um we were friends for quite a few years before he asked me on a first date and we were um, and things moved pretty quickly after afterwards. we bought a house after nine months and we were living together and we were also drinking quite a lot and had a real party lifestyle. We earned quite a lot of money. We're both engineers. Um, yeah. and then I was doing consultation for a project and I saw, uh, some people from a local church doing outreach and I was quite drawn to them and, uh, a lady just came to talk to me when I was on a break. I was actually having a cigarette. I was on a cigarette break. <laughs> um, she was just chatting and she invited me to church the next day. Um, and my husband was actually away. Well, he wasn't my husband then. He was away with the car and uh, kind of just laid in bed in the morning by myself. And I kind of just got up and ran to church. Um, and I met with the Holy Spirit then. And kind of the rest they... So that was... February just before my 30th birthday, so I was 29. And um, I didn't really look back after that. And things very quickly started to fall in place. And and, Andy and I got married. um, uh, I started Bible college. And, you know, the Holy Spirit really um, unpicked and made right some of the bad decisions that I had made. And we were married in 2012. And um, we went on our honeymoon 2013 to America where my brother-in-law lives as he met his beautiful wife there. So we traveled to the East coast of America Mm -hmm. for about three weeks. Um, and on our way home, I didn't know then, but I had the start of my first miscarriage. Um, and so that was really the first time that a, that I realized that it wasn't God's best to lose a child. That's not what he wanted. Um, Mm. But also in the grief and in the loss, he's very real. and He's a real, real comfort. Um, Mm. And I kind of understood what that that expression, extravagant love means. I really felt that peace, you know, amongst all of our pain. We hadn't really kind of thought about it, we kind of thought, you know, maybe we'll stop using contraception, was just kind of see what happens. Mm. Um, And so it it came and went really quicker than I had time to process for. And then it seemed to take an age to get pregnant again. I mean, I really understand that now, it wasn't a long time, but, you know, for those seven, eight months, I think it was, Mm. um, I just, I got... Start to get a little bit obsessed. Like every month, you know, as it's not happening, why me? You know, um mm. all of those questions that can come to mind.
1: um Yeah, and like you say, even though it doesn't seem like a super long time, looking back, mm. when you're in the middle of it, and you, I don't know. I think often we think, oh, I want to get pregnant now, so yeah. I'll have contraception. It'll just happen right away, yeah, right? and if it doesn't, you're like, but that's you know, it's not following my plan. Like, it is. Yeah. It's alarming, isn't it? Yeah. And, I'm not making light, like, you know, seven or eight months is quite a long time to Mm wait and and it can be quite anxious, but yeah, I think it really, it can really challenge your sort of sense
2: of control, you know, your own timescales and life. And I think every every month I would say, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm handing it over to you and I am being in that. Place of peace, but actually, mm. still, sort of, you know, uh, thinking about it and checking all the signs and checking my cycle in like the hallway, like looking for indications. Um, mm. But Andy was actually working away in Bristol, so he would go on a Monday morning, come back Friday night. Um, and so I was really excited for his opportunity, also a little bit irritated with him that he was hampering our efforts. Um, and actually, when I was actually pregnant, I just didn't realise. And I remember mm-hmm. one morning he was going, um, going to Bristol. I was just, I, I actually physically held onto the lapel of his blazer and I was like, don't go. He was like, Jess, what are you doing? I've got to go. It's six o'clock in the morning. The neighbours are starting to look you, wailing like a banshee on the front door. And then I was kind of getting ready for work and I was just like, so I can't. So actually I called my boss I said, I don't feel that I'm just not coming in today. He said, Okay. Yeah. And I was just I just didn't feel right and I just couldn't put my finger on it. So I was like, right and I think I spoke to my mom. She was like, Let's go to your doctor's appointment get some blood tests. And I went, um, and I saw the doctor and um and she was said, You know, all the normal questions when was your last period? And I was like, oh, don't have a clue. So I checked, and it was actually about eight weeks ago, and I said, Oh like let's ago, she's like, like, "Okay, well, we'll do a blood test. Uh, we'll do a pregnancy test." And I was like, oh. "Um." And then she came, she did it, and then she went out of the room. And then she came back again, and then she called someone. I was like, oh, "It's a bit weird." And then she said, "Um, <laughs> so I'm really happy, I think, to tell you that you're pregnant." Said, "Really," but she, because I kind of my cycle had been a bit all over the place. She said, "I'm just going to yeah. send you to the hospital just so we can determine exactly." where you are. And I like, okay, anyway, so I kind of just, um, cause Andy had the car. So I got on the bus to the hospital sitting there thinking, is, is this actually real? And it was, and I saw a tiny little heartbeat uh, I was about nine weeks pregnant. And so, uh, like it was the longest three days to wait for Andy to come home. Um, and so that was really, um, yeah, There was really, I really felt God's peace through that pregnancy. Um, and I had been studying, um, about Hannah and how she had been praying for a baby for Samuel and, you know, how she promised to sew him. Um, and someone reminded me of that actually last baby loss awareness week about, you know, the name Hannah and, you know, what she did and, you know, sewing her child and, you know, making that commitment to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that a little bit later, but, um, it's really prevalent in the story now of our lives and our journey to parenting. Um, and so I knew, I was fairly sure in my spirit that she was a girl and I knew that she would be called Hannah. Um, but I just awaited. So I had a few little pink clothes stashed away cause we didn't find out. that uh, she was a girl and she flew into the world, um, had a few complications during the delivery. Um, And that's how she lives her life. She is a force to be reckoned with. She is... um, (laughs) How old is she now? She's eight, eight and a half now. Um, She's an absolute blessing. Yeah. So she's my Hannah Lily, And yeah, she's beautiful. Um, And so we had... uh, I had a wonderful maternity with her. Her first year was just beautiful. I went back to work part-time. We were enjoying life. Um, Then we decided we would like... to try for another baby um and because of how long it took us to get pregnant with Hannah I thought okay you know I studied myself for a long journey and uh really? two weeks later I was pregnant I um, was that Uh-oh. and all the best laid plans yeah having, absolutely and I was um and I kind of again I felt a little bit something um, not quite right but we were doing some billy work and I said to Anna I said oh I don't feel quite right and I was up a ladder Smashing down a, a brick wall, and then she said, "Do you think maybe you should just check and you know make sure that everything's all right before you carry on doing all of this physical work?" I'm all right. So just popped it as dear. and I was just like Hannah was playing downstairs and all of the dust. And I did the pregnancy test and it was positive, and I was like, "Oh, okay." So I came down. I literally, so I was just sat around in shock for eight, yeah. just hours. We didn't kind of. Yeah, it didn't really sink in. And then we just, you know, and then I kind of suddenly start thinking, we've just literally torn our house apart. We're going to have a baby. Is this going to be finished? You know, all of those things that you see, you know, my start yeah. swimming away with. And we'd had, so we went away with some friends and we told them that we were having a great time. And, um, we had our, our 12 week scan and the sonographer said, Oh, I can't quite see what I want to come back in a couple of weeks. Um, and we, and actually, Andy was working away again and so couldn't be at the second scan. But I had my pastor with me um, and we were just so busy talking. I didn't really notice that the sonographer had gone so quiet. And she said, um, I'm just going to take you into another room. I just want to just check some things through. Um, and so when I was pregnant with Hannah, my father-in-law died. And I have come to learn now when the AHS take you to another room, give you a cup of tea. It's not good news. Never good news. no. Um, and so she said that she didn't see what she would wanted to see in the development time for baby, um, that the substantial part of her skull was missing, um, and that she was going to refer us to fetal medicine. And I said, okay. And I actually didn't really feel worried. I don't think I really kind of took on the enormity and my past was really peaceful. And we said, okay, um, Wait for Andy to come back the next day. Um and actually it took took like nearly a week for that referral to come through. So you're kind of told that yeah. something wasn't right and then left in limbo. Um it's something that I'm campaigning for a little bit at the moment, some for some policy changes and how that pathway care um takes place. But yeah. um so we met a consultant when our hospital appointment came through and Andy did and she did an extensive um, scan of baby of Amelia and, and she confirmed that she had two neural tube defects, which is anencephaly. So that's the, the, the skull doesn't form properly. Um, and she actually had two breaks in her spine, um, spina bifida. And they said, you know, that is, she is incompatible with life and the best course of treatment would be a termination. Um, and, in that instant, the only thing that I did knew i mean there was like my mind was racing in my hundred miles a minute that um I couldn't have a termination, and he was very really? worried about me, we were very kind of at different places, but um yeah, that I knew that I couldn't so we we left left the hospital, we went straight to church um my pastor, she was making a cup of tea and I just burst into tears. I hadn't said anything or kind of reacted at all. Um, So she went to get her husband, she went to get my my pastor and we all sat and cried. And he said, uh, you know, he's just the most amazing spiritual father. He said, Jess, at one point, at some point you're going to have to decide what you're believing for and decide what you want to do. What what does he mean? They've just told me my baby's going to die. And yeah, actually, you know, he said, you got to believe in that raven word of, you know, and, and seek the Lord. And I said, okay. So the next day it came and I was sat, you know, sobbing with a spare bedroom. Um, and, and the verse that, um, God gave me was, um, in Psalms 118 where it says, I will not die, but live and proclaim the word of the Lord. Um, and so that is, so that's the verse that I stood on, really, for the whole of the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And we had, well, I don't know, we had so many kind of ups and downs. And that's, you know, I mean, that's kind of maybe the first nine years of, you know, walking again with the Lord. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's just, he's just been so absolutely wonderful. So,
1: But I mean, that's, yeah, as you say, like real ups and downs and, yeah. you know, um, see like miscarriage is you know one thing but then you know that kind of news is like you know such a life-changing situation isn't it and i mean yeah yeah to me i just think i don't know uh, yeah i mean it's just i i guess i'm interested in like kind of how you find god in the middle of that because you know you, you like talk about that rhema word but. You know, obviously it must have been a really anxious time and a really stressful time for you as well. And you're know, like trying to stand on God's word and trust him with the outcome, but also like how does that look in practice, right? Because you've got nine months of pregnancy, or not quite nine months by the time you found out, but a large chunk of pregnancies, like months and months of your life where you're just thinking, What's gonna happen? And you know, how does how does that impact you? And, you know, how does it change the shape of your faith or like how did you how did you find God in the middle of that
2: honestly I I don't think I've ever felt so close to him he was never you know Mm -hmm. like I felt like he was real a real tangible presence during that pregnancy and out of the, the four babies that I've given birth to, she was the best. It was the best pregnancy mm. Like I felt from one point of being really unwell before the diagnosis. Um, I was taken home, sent home from work and um, I didn't have any symptoms. I was really well, I was fitting well. Like we were walking the Hills when I was eight months pregnant, you know, I was out in the Yorkshire Dales having a great time. Um, I will say that we didn't tell a lot of people about the diagnosis. Mm. Um we had some insensitive words I think from people who did know, didn't understand it. Um changed a lot of relationships. Um our circle's definitely a lot smaller now. We spent a lot of time just being um with our families. Like our mums, I just mm. don't know what we what we'd have done without them. Um but she, you know, they they said a lot of things. And, though you know, there were, um, whether you believe in tangible miracles still or not, mm. a lot of things took place during her pregnancy. So there were two spines, two breaks in her spine. But by the time that she was born, there was none. Um, her, mm-hmm. The substantial part of her intestines were outside of the stomach wall. But when she was born, it was perfect. So, you know, there was so... Yeah, some really physical, tangible yeah, absolutely. changes. absolutely. Yeah. Um, which the doctors kind of acknowledged but glossed over, you know. And yeah. I, I wasn't in a fit state to you know, to challenge them over it. But I believe that God watched over his word to perform it because he said that she would live. And, you know, she did die, but she is in heaven and she is perfect. Um, but God was like kind of... God was faithful to that promise and that
1: she yeah, did live she for, did and you were told she would never yeah, absolutely be gone, like alive weren't you yeah. so can you t- can you tell us a bit more about sort of like how the, the next part of the story yeah so, so obviously we, we continued and- with
2: with the pregnancy and it was great we kept kind of going and i think i went in every month or so for scans mm-hmm. and you know every time something changed a little bit but she she honestly must be the most photographed baby but well, we had so many kind of. pictures of her. Um, and I built a really good relationship with my consultant, with my obstetrician. She was amazing. She still is. I you know, was still in contact with her. <laughs> um, and she delivered my eldest son as well. So, um, we've been on a journey with her and she came to appreciate our decisions. I know she didn't agree with them. First of all, um, she she did live and she made all these you normal know, you know baby snuffling noises and um, she didn't cry but I mean I like she was all still kind of all snuggled up and like I was holding her still because I had a C section and then I gave her to Andy and she opened her eyes I was like excuse me I'm the one who's gone through all of this you know she's <laughs> still open on the operating theatre but she opened her eyes to look at her daddy and. Was exactly what he needed no he mm. he needed that because obviously i carried her and i felt her every move and her every um you know turn and kick and she was very strong i mean i've i'm i'm five foot eight and probably got like a 33 inside like i've got really long legs and all of our children have got really long legs and i you know i thought the boys were actually going to break my ribs when i was pregnant with them but <laughs> she had the longest legs and you know considering that she had the substantial part of her skull missing. She was a little chunky thing. She had some big old little cheeks like these and she had my big brown eyes and she had her daddy's dimples that all, you know, all four of them had. Um and so we had a really beautiful moment after her birth and so she lived for fifty seven minutes. Um she got to have kisses and cuddles with both her grandmas. Mm-hmm. Um and then she went home to heaven into the arms of Jesus um and so we had a a cuddle cot so she was actually like we could physically keep her with us for a little while um I stayed in hospital for a couple of days and um I don't necessarily remember a lot straight after she died um they gave so i had you have know, quite a lot of things so they gave me things to uh stop the milk coming in i think i had quite a lot of liquid morphine to stop the pain but i think also it was a little bit like a, a sedation um and so andy went home in the evening after she died my pastor came in and sat with me we just chatted um and i still felt really loved and then the next the next morning, uh, she had gone to the Chapel of Rest and, and like it was a change of shift and Andy wasn't here yet. And I tried to call, um, and they'd said, you know, if you want to go home today, you have to have a week, you don't have to take the catheter out. Yeah. Like, so I was just, you know, sitting on the toilet and I couldn't have a wee and I couldn't speak to anyone. And it was just, I was like, Lord, I just feel so alone. And then I just heard this, uh, lovely irish lilt saying hey jess it's just me and it was my community midwife who'd come in to see me before her shift before she went out
0: and oh. i have
2: seen on the toilet crying i'm like, oh, maddie i can't wait and she's like it's all right uh, and she stayed with me uh, until the midwives kind of came on until they ended and so you know i've god really put people in place to mm. support me throughout it all um in just a really little practical yeah, ways. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the peace of God never left me. So that same midwife, she came to see me like long after I was discharged. And she said, every time I come here, you were laughing and eating. I said, but I'm so hungry. And I've never felt so hungry, but I had a real supernatural quick healing. Um, yeah, I was up and about looking after Hannah. I mean, there were really, there were days when, all I could do was kind of open the curtains and brush my hair, but there's also mm-hmm. days when you know I laughed and I just uh, on the day that I came home, I was determined to get home in time to put Hannah to bed. And my pastor was here, dropping off some food, so my mum was here with Hannah, so I had my spiritual mum and my actual mum, and I really feel again that was like another another mm-hmm. little kiss from God, just like you know to be welcomed home by your mums. To it was real. It's something that I recall quite a lot to think about. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, there were real lovely moments. And I think because she had, um, such unusual symptoms, she, her post mortem took quite a long time. She had to go to Birmingham. Um, and so we waited nearly a month for her funeral. Um, and I do remember on the run up to that, that i kind of had enough as well. I was like, enough now, I wanna get yeah. off. I'm a, I'm a civil yeah. engineer, I'm practical, you know, you go through the process. But we know that grief is not logical. Absolutely no, no. logical. It's not a linear process it's at all. Well. It's it's completely emotional. Um and so in fact on the night before her funeral I said to my sister, I was going through this process of like, well, you know, well, these are things, Hannah's things for the nursery and the dog's food, she was like where are you going? I was like, no, I'm not doing it now. I'm just going. She's like, okay, you can't actually leave. <laughs> um, but she was just, um, yeah, she was great. just the things she was, she could say the things that sisters could say. Um, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, it's so good today. isn't like, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do remember her like sitting, like brushing my hair and like doing my makeup and just those little things that, um, I couldn't necessarily muster up to do for myself yeah um, but i i was really bothered by the fact that i was never going to put get to put amelia to bed um i sing to Hannah, i love to sing i was part of the worship team at church and i used to sing hannah i sing the boys to sleep most nights um so i was just i went to the funeral um and i sat with her in her coffin and i sang to her and i felt like i kind of got a download i didn't know it then but it was kind of the founding objectives for hannah's house um Mm. and the verse that uh so i i spoke at her funeral i was determined that she was my baby and i was going to talk about her um but the verse that that god gave me was in lamentations Mm. uh, where it says this Oh, I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Um, hmm and that's that's what i shared and there's one translation that says um and yet i still dare to hope and as my love that yeah and as my um healing journey kind of unfolded it that that dare to hope is now the tagline um of hannah's house because um then we kind of we got got on with getting on with life and that healing yeah. thing. And I went, I went, so she died in the January and I went back to work in the August. And, um, my friend was my line manager at the time. She's not anymore, but I mean, I think I was fairly ineffective for the first few months. Uh, but she was just an absolute blessing. She got around everybody and managed to, you know, tell everybody. And I had a series of, of, of counseling through work at like 12 weeks. And I felt like we were doing all right. And then, Towards the end of the year we decided that we were going to try again um so around the october time um and we had another early miscarriage um and i felt very broken and hot and i was like okay and i felt really sad and you know we kind of we dealt with it and then christmas came and um we thought we'd try again and then i had another bit miscarriage and i just actually refused to acknowledge it just in fact my boss we we're making coffee one day between meetings and she said you're all right I said "Oh, I had miscarriage last week and just carried on making the tea and she was like and do you th- do you feel like that was because
1: almost you've been through so much loss and grief already <laughs> that it was like oh it's just more of the sa- same or is it just yeah. like you got to a point where you're like I just can't I, just, take I it think anymore. that was it I, was like, I just can't. Yeah. I can't
2: deal with it like I know I know a God is a good God and I know that he yeah. has done so much for us already and living out that gospel and believing it, even though it's not what you're seeing now and waiting for that manifestation, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to walk out when you're in the midst of that trial. And I feel like yeah. like now, now I've kind of reflected maybe only in the last... 12 to 18 months on those two little babies that I lost between, um, mm. Amelia and the, and the boys. Um, cause I just think I just didn't want to deal with it. But it was actually after Dan was born, after my oldest son was born. Um, and he was, it was lovely. It was a plan C section. We went in. I was a bit early. I had, we had team toast, We joking with all the nurses because by that time I'd been in the hospital a lot (laughs) and we knew them all and you know people were popping in oh you're back again and it was nice and he and Hannah was a bit freaked out when she came in so my mum came and we sat they moved me to a side room we had dinner lovely food it was just you know it was a really wonderful experience Mm. Um I for sure had postnatal depression after him Mm. I didn't couldn't really like no, that, I, I, it was just something that was, so we took him on his first holiday and, you know, that realisation that I never got to take Amelia on his first holiday. We bought his first baby shoes because they are the cutest things ever. Mm-hmm. Um And she never got to have baby shoes.
1: And I guess it does bring up all yeah. of those kind of kind of, yeah. baby first yeah. and different scenarios that kind of bring back up grief again. Yeah. This is like, as you say, like, grief's not linear it's so no, you think you have dealt with something and you you're sort of healed but then certainly that was my experience as well it's like not linear and then something comes up and you're mm. like oh it's this again I thought I dealt with this but yeah. here it is again. yeah absolutely. absolutely yeah and, and so, I'm not yeah. surprised that having another child after that kind of loss brings up
2: stuff again at all. so I th- I felt like then you know, I had been blessed. God had given us this beautiful little boy, and he—he's—he's yeah. um, he's called Daniel Isaac because you know Isaac it means a man of excellence, and but Isaac means to laugh because I think at that point everybody needed, everybody needed a, a laugh. And you know, my mom yeah. had been, my mom had been through cancer. My father-in-law had died, and then my granny had died, and then Andy's granny had died, and I <sighs> It's a lot of people. We'd had two miscarriages. Um, yeah. And then we had this beautiful boy, but whilst I was pregnant with him, Andy turned 40 and he decided that he was going to retrain as an electrician and start our own company. Um, it was the best thing that we, sh- we ever did. And my mum said, I've got my son-in-law back. But he was, you know, gone for 12 hours a day. Um, and so all of these things kind of happened at... Mm. Like we we were going at a pace of life, and had this toddler. I was back at work. I loved my job, but it was still quite, you know, demanding. Mm. Even though I was doing, I was doing, mm. I was doing four days work in three and a half days, so I had those days off with hand, and then um, went back to work with Daniel. And then the world stopped. COVID hit, and I had some time to think. And I said, like, oh, mm. "No, thank you, Lord. I, I've dealt with that." it's done practically little box and you know the holy spirit is very gentle yeah and you know you don't listen and then you know for me he always brings people alongside to confirm what he's he's saying to me and so my friend who runs a charity um a bereavement charity she lost a little boy um at 12 months in a car accident um she said, you know, she rang me one evening and said, uh, well, actually, first of all, you know, we were having one of those long, lingering dinners because there was nothing else to do and just chatting. And so Dan was probably about 19 months. Mm. Um, and said, Mummy, I really wish that Elijah was, uh, Elijah, I wish that Amelia was here so I could play with her. And I said, Oh, me too. And I excused myself from the table and collapsed in a heap on my bedroom floor. Uh, and the pain was just you know when people say I've got a broken heart I know what that feels like and uh, that, mm-hmm. that feeling was of after she just died of rearing its ugly head again and I was like no and then at that point Charlotte um, rang and she said oh you know I've got 12 hours pro bono um, counseling and when I was at your point in my grief journey mm-hmm. I could really have done that with this help, and I thought you'd find it really helpful. And I was so rude to her, and uh, I told her to go away, in no uncertain terms. <laughs> um, at which point, Andy popped his head around the corner and said, uh, who are you on the phone to? And uh, I told him what she said, and he said, do you think maybe you should ring her back? No, I don't think. Nothing wrong with me. I went to bed and didn't sleep, and tossed and turned, and, and I rang her in the morning, and I said, probably do need that help. And that was really was the beginning of right. me being in a position on my own healing to then start to be able to help everybody else. Um, and so with that yeah. 12 weeks and three months, um, it happened, it so happened that I was at home. Um, and so we were, you know, I was able to, you know, do my job. Um, toddler run around my feet and then do my counseling once a week um I really began to unpick all of that painful hurt Mm. that I had locked away in a little box um I really uh, and my counselor at the end of my session said you'd make a really good counselor I said I don't think I would and I think within that week three people said it to me and I said all right Oh, hey, Lord. <laughs> maybe if there's something maybe there's something about it. And so but in the background I'd really been trying to do a lot of things with Hannah's House, like to get the charitable status. I've been doing a lot of work at the hospital, um, like setting up different groups, and it was just like walking through tree call. It just wasn't working. But I really believe mm. it's because I was in no fit state to help anybody. Um and then I went uh, went back to Bible college to start my level two um and uh it literally happened it was a saturday morning and because we still weren't allowed to be in, right. college, in church i was in this very room doing my first online lecture and email pinged in from the charities commission you have your charitable status i was like well my goodness so that was the february so that was the february just the month before my 39th birthday and you know that was amazing so we'd done all of this work and mm. uh, got this charitable status so you can when you're setting up a charity do uh, you know quite a lot but it just to me it didn't feel right when you're working with people's hearts that you should have that kind of level of standing to show you've gone mm. you've got merit you've been through those checks so we started to do i started to do that and i'd already kind of spoken informally to a couple of people about being trustees um and so that was um, February twenty one. Um, Started so to have our first few meetings, and then I made a decision then that after so Dan was um, three, he was near. Yeah, he was going to be three that year. That mm. we tried and tried for that. You know, that next baby. I knew I always wanted three babies. Um, to you have with me on hers and I was like well do you know maybe if that's you know I've got one in heaven and two with me here then I am still so blessed and I said to yeah. and I said well no I said you know let's just call it I said I'm 40 next month I'm 40 in a few weeks let's just leave it he said are you sure I said yeah let's just you know we'll call it quits so we'll be happy with our lot. <laughs> yeah little did I know that I was probably already pregnant um, and so, so I, <laughs> I was at Bible College on this Saturday. It was my actual birthday, and they they kind of got me a cake at break, and I was in absolute floods of tears. And I was like, "Oh, nice," you know, very emotional. And then I got home, and I had the surprise party. and We'd had some champagne. We had cocktails the next day. I felt so unwell, and I was like, "This is really well And Andy said, "Well, it's forty. If you drink champagne at forty, that's what happens." I said okay mm-hmm. and then like a few weeks later i still felt really rough but we just like, we were just like life was at a pace with establishing yeah, a you've business got and got and little, i just didn't think even about it, right. think about it and then i just suddenly thought um i was out with my friend so she did me afternoon tea because we still couldn't meet anywhere um and she um had a like she had a perfume on i was like and I was i was like that is disgusting I smell. And I was like, <laughs> and I was driving home because so, she lives in Chesterfield. So we'd met halfway and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Why would something normal make me feel so sick? I was like, just you have been here before? I was like, no, I'm 40.
1: <laughs> and then it starts uh, to dawn on you. Yeah, so I
2: stopped and I got a pregnancy test uh, and I came home. I a pregnancy test and um, I was pregnant. I was 40 and I was pregnant. And I think that's what I said for nine months, but I'm 40 and I'm pregnant. Um, But it was not a straightforward pregnancy. Um, Mm. So the 20-week scan, they saw that baby was very, very small uh, between the first and second percentile. Um, And uh, the babies had been quite big. Even Amelia was, you know, quite big. Um, Mm. Dan was like on the 90th percentile. so, um, So they were doing a lot of monitoring and I was getting more and more anxious and I was really fighting mm. to stay peaceful. Um, and then it kind of, it came to an head um, that they were monitoring the flow in my umbilical cord, but they at the start, they could see that it was um, an intermittent beat. So like out of eight, 10 beats, he was only getting like like eight of them. So like the, his oxygen mm-hmm. levels were not like, good. He wasn't getting the nutrients. So they're like, well, you've got to stay here. I was like, when you stay in hospitals, babies die. And I've got two children at home. So I was like, no, I'm going. I said, come on, mum, we're going. She said, do you think you should stay? And I said, no, Andy, I can't remember where it was. I think it was Derby somewhere. Um, there's no reception in the hospital. So I got outside and I rang him. And that's when I heard his voice I you know, burst into tears. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, well, do you think maybe you should stay? I said, no, I'm going to go and get. And, you know, But actually, in my mind, I was really just thinking about Hannah because... You know, mum going to hospital doesn't—it's not always a good thing. That she was at school yeah, by cool. this point, um, we had a, a toddler, and I just thought, uh, if she comes home and I'm not there, you know. So I said to them, "Right." So I went back in. And I said, "This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get a bag. I'm going to pick my children up. I'm going to sort everything out, and then I'll come back in." They said, "Okay." Yeah. They got um a bed for me on the antenatal ward. Um, well, I didn't know that that was the start of. A really long journey. So I got home. They just you know sat with her and I plaited her hair and you know, God just orchestrates things. So my friend, um, the same friend who I'd been with when I thought I might be pregnant said, Oh, you know, um, just, I'd really like to see you. Can I come stay? Cause we didn't work Fridays. So I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. come down. I'll be home at this time. we just got hospital appointment. So I, she was there before me and Andy had got home. So I went to get Hannah from school. And I said, could you go for children? She went, Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> she she was there. She came for a night. Um and it just like I didn't get to see her at all, but she looked after the children. So anyway, I was going for like uh, I was having a monitoring baby three times mm. a day. So I'd stayed then that night. Um and then they did like every time you move from the hotel other hotel, the hospital, you have to have a COVID test. Like all doing fine. Um, and then they sent one away. So I've probably been there about 36 hours and they came and they said, you've tested positive for COVID. I was like, oh no. I said, that's nice. Can I go home? They're like, no. <laughs> I said, so they literally, I was incarcerated in the side room. Couldn't leave. Um, i had to go for a scan like i had a scan book i mean 40 that is hours. just not what you need on top of everything else i mean during it, a pregnancy and i felt like such a fraud because i had no symptoms i was really very well yeah. there was no, an, now uh, like on the antenatal ward, like all the side rooms they were really poorly really sick mums hmm. and i was like kept can, can i have a cup of tea please um but yeah i'm really thankful for what happened so i went they didn't there was no pro- protocol of if I went home, how I could come back into the hospital with COVID? They're just yeah, like it just so Didn't I just had to stay. Um, so I was there for six days because presumably this was before vaccines or know, so any it of that was. Part. You could still have the fact. Yeah, no, I think like halfway through. So what was that? That was yeah. twenty one. Twenty one. So the vaccine. So the world were kind of open, but not quite. Yeah, not hospital quite, was yeah, still yeah. very much. Uh, like you could only only the father could come on to an anti-natal ward no children and nothing like that so um yeah uh yeah so they finally let me i had my scan um and he was really small and they said okay um and i think i really believe that if i hadn't had tested positive covid they would have delivered him there and then so i was about 30 weeks at this point Mm. So I went home at 31 weeks um, and I was still kind of coming in. I was still at work because, you know, I was 31 weeks pregnant. I did my handover from my hospital bed. I wrote my handover note. Um, I was doing all of those things. And then it was, um, yeah, I was still doing all this stuff with Hannah's house. I'd planned to do this big launch in Baby Loss Awareness Week in the October. So this was uh, kind of the end of September and um, he was mm. due in December um and then so we made a plan that i would go home That was that was on the friday uh, i did my handover on friday morning i went in to hospital to see a consultant and i was too black to go back in on sunday um so i went in for another scan on saturday went back in sunday night um had a beautiful midwife and she was like do you know why you're here uh, I burst into tears. I said, they can deliver baby. He's too small. I do not you know, we didn't even know what his prognosis was. Like, you know, was he going to live? Like, he was perfectly formed. He was just small.
1: Um, small, yeah.
2: And I just, you know, she said, right, stopped everything. She was amazing. It was like nine o'clock on a Sunday night. She managed to get the head of neonates down to talk to us. She had an anaesthetist in to come and talk to us and tell about what would happen, what would happen to baby, like where it was going to be delivered. Um, and so then they get started this transfusion, which I um, can't even remember what it's called—something sulfate—but it's to protect his brain in case he was like delivered like in the middle of the night because he was so small. But it makes you um, feel very hot, like your head's really hot, and like so Weird. she said she it might give you some really um, unfortunate symptoms. So I was like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. After about twenty minutes, I was like, you're right. I said. It's not a good feeling. Um, yeah. But in the middle of all that, I had this knock on the door. And it was a, a voice that said, oh, hi, it's only me. And it was my midwife who had taken care of, who had delivered Amelia. Um, oh, wow. And I haven't seen her since then. Like I texted her a few times. And so she came and she sat and she cried with us. We showed her the pictures of Hannah being grown up and Dan, And so I was at peace then. And so um, like I was on the Labour Ward because they had, because I'd had to have this thing um, and it was very loud and I don't think I really slept. And then Andy came back in the morning and I was being monitored. So I kind of knew that I was just going to be there until he was going to be delivered. And then we had this lovely consultant. He just kind of kept coming in and out. Um, but he was, the baby was starting to struggle. So his heart rate was yeah. dipping. And then he was struggling to get it back up. And she came in um, just before lunch. And she looked at me and you, you, you know, when you get that feeling and she just didn't look right. She went out, she made a phone call, she came back in and she was getting whiter and whiter. And I was like, it's not good. And like 20 minutes later, the registrar came in. She was like, right. I she's just looking at the notes. She was like, okay, okay, we're going to theater. And I was like, okay. Like later she said, no, now." I said, okay. <laughs> and he was born maybe an hour later and he came out with a roar. he was uh about 20 centimeters he was just under a kilogram so just under two pounds um and he is a little fire he uh he spent a couple of hours in um, neonates hdu in intensive care mm. and then he was in hdu and they I mean, I don't know how they did it, they managed to get my hospital bed into the Neonates intensive care. So Andy had seen him, but I hadn't seen him. And so again, I was eating tea and toast. <laughs> <theme>. yes. yeah. <laughs> In intensive care. And uh I looked at him, I was like, He's just so small. So so small. Mm. Um and I just had all of these beautiful people taking care of me. I had this midwife who stayed with me. I like, trying to get the, the milk expressed. And so, and then I kind of started to get tired. So they took me up to the ward. Um And then I woke up at six o'clock the next morning and they wheeled me down. Um And I got out, had my breakfast and I was trying to express the milk and it just wasn't working. And then I got upstairs and I had a massive hemorrhage. And to pull the emergency cord, I lost loads of blood. And I think... I think they gave me some painkillers. I think they might have given me some liquid morphine. And yeah. I woke up 12 hours later and Andy was there and they were like, he was like, I don't think we might need some milk for baby. So I hadn't seen him then for like nearly uh, the rest of the day. So we managed to yeah, go down gosh. after dinner. But he was absolutely he was fine. By the it time was we got like down to him, he was he was in still early. in, yeah, in HDU. He was just small. So they call it um, uh, growing and feeding, which is what he was doing. So then started off like he had to have a little line sewn into his foot and that is actually the only evidence that he was ever in you know he's got a tiny little scar so um
1: yeah amazing really isn't it yeah absolutely i mean i i just kind of like think through like all of your story and you know gosh what a roller coaster ups and downs Mm. you know through having your family um i just Yeah, just like the highs and lows, but one thing that strikes me through it is just that there's this kind of like, just knowing God's presence and like looking after you through all of it. But I I just wondered, like kind of, what's that kind of, if you could distill it down to one thing, what's the kind of, what what sort of standout lesson or thing that you've learned through all of it? What's kind of like, if you could just distill it down to one thing, what would that be? Like what kind of... What I mean? What have you learned through all of that? You know, through all of the ups and downs of grief and loss, and and also like you know the babies that you know were born that healthy as well. You know the family you have got. Like what's what's the kind of yeah l- life motto I guess or lesson that you kind of
2: would take away from all of that? If you could, I think. It, well, I think God always answers prayers. But they don't it doesn't come like as we would want or as we would expect. Mm. Um and you know, he says you went to the Romans that all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I think I would never have chosen for Amelia to die. Ever. Yeah. Never, ever. Of course. But so much good has come from her life. So much um purpose. And she still lived and breathed. And someone pointed out to me that actually she lived a life of love in this fallen world where there was so much hurt that all she knew on this earth was love and kisses. And I think that's beautiful for me. I really like that. It just, it Mm -hmm. really carries me on the days when I remember, you know, think, because although I know she, if she had a choice to come back and be with us, you know, why would you choose that when you've got heaven in all of its perfection, um but it doesn't miss that i am wholly aware that she's missing from me mm. um and i know it is a a time you know eternity is going to be amazing to be with her and the other two yeah. babies three babies um but i think that it would be to just to get up again that you have already lived the worst day you thought you were ever going to encounter yeah um and that there is the pain of being separated from your loved one from your baby but there is i think it's a worse pain to not heal from it and to live that life with pain that mm. you can heal from but it also hurts it hurts to deal with the fact that you trusted god and you were expecting a prayer to be answered or mm-hmm. that you were waiting for the manifestation of your family to come. And it hasn't come this side of heaven. Um, mm. That is also painful, but he has a peace and you can walk in that peace and let go of the grief. I think sometimes, so you, you know, when my father-in-law died, we have wonderful memories of him. But when you lose a baby, you don't have those memories. You have mm-hmm. the dreams and the hopes that you think have died. Um mm-hmm. And it is definitely a decision to heal from them. It is definitely a decision to trust God. And, you know, if you've been standing and believing, that trust can be shaken. Um. And I think, you know, all of the, the well meaning, loving, Christ centered friends can tell you all of what the gospel says. But until you come to that place of that revelation for yourself, mm-hmm. um and I think that's when you and people like you and me who have walked it can come alongside mm-hmm. and say, It's gonna take as long as it takes. Um and there is But that's also what I love about your story is that like <laughs>
1: God wasn't, it struck me that God wasn't willing to just leave you like half healed or semi healed yeah, or a bit absolutely. healed. Like, I love that part of your story where you talked about the fact that, like, God was like, uh uh-uh, uh, we're not, you haven't sorted this out properly yeah, yet. Like, your, your grief is still affecting you. And, like, just that, that to me, that just really speaks of how God wanted to heal you and make you whole. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was part of the, that healing process. Meant that you were so much more quick to then serve other women mm-hmm. that are in this space, and you know everything you're doing with Hannah's House charity now, and supporting other grieving families. You know that's possible because you know God cared too much to leave you half healed Absolutely. or partially healed. Or, and I know you would probably say, "Oh, you know, it's still a journey. It is you know, it's definitely days, progressive, isn't it? You know, grief still there, yeah. of course, because it never fully heals the side of heaven." But I love the fact that like. Yeah, God doesn't do a half baked job and that's really clear yeah, in your story. Really, and yeah. that just that whole kind of what was what was the strap line you said for Hannah's hope again? It's Dare, About dare, dare to hope. hope. Dare to hope. Dare to hope. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, dare to hope that you know something good can come
2: out Absolutely. of the worst situations. There is hope. Maybe um, yeah. so loss is not the end of your story, is it? It's not mm, the end. That's right. Um, and so when you don't have that memories the pain can be sometimes the only thing you associate with your baby and so I know mm-hmm. that it's really painful to let go of that um mm-hmm. I'd remember you know quite it was probably summer like the sun was shining and I had dropped Hannah at nursery and um I dropped her at nursery and there's the opposite a beautiful park and I'd been for a run I got in a car and I put the radio on and I was singing pulled up outside the house and you know, I was feeling really happy and light and Burst into tears because I wasn't in pain, and I hadn't thought about her for a couple of hours. And it is that kind of, Mm. and I know there are um, women out there who are hurting, who are going through that battle of, you know, living their lives and not wanting to let go of the pain because it's all they've got. Mm. But you know, Jesus came. Like the memories linked to the pain. Yeah, Yeah. Jesus came that we don't have to live in the pain, and that we Mm. can give it to Him. You know, come to me all those who were heavy burden. I was trying to explain mm. to you, Dan what a burden was. he's like, Well, is it something you carry around? Why don't you just put it down? I was like, But you know, it's not a physical burden, but it can mm. it does feel like that. You know, sometimes, you sometimes, know, if you've yeah. said, like you feel like it's on your shoulders. Like you ever seen a person who's depressed and they can't hold their head up, you know? Mm. But when we get in the presence of God, you know, all that can be gone. But it is again still a surrender you've still got to make that decision that you can trust him you can let go of the pain and that it's okay And there's something better at the end of it yeah and certainly your your family
1: story you know clearly such a clear testimony of that and yeah I'm just really excited to see what God does with it all next but I mean I could talk to you all day Jessica (laughs) honestly about this I know we could talk about this forever um but I'm, I am aware of time and we're getting to the end of this podcast. But obviously it would be great to just kind of share with us where people can connect with you more if they connect with your story or want to learn more about Hannah's House Perhaps Like it's a wonderful charity, particularly for anyone who's sort of in the West Midlands, Coventry area, kind of where you are. Yeah. Um, and further afield too. But can you just quickly like, yeah just tell us where people can find you find out more connect with you if they want to um because yeah, it's such a
2: wonderful nice know. Well, you can find us at UK or on social media at Cove is our handle so you can find us there and we're on linkedin too so i mean even if you uh, you want to have a little an- an anonymous chat you can we've got a chat function on our website and someone probably me will come back to you with some support for, so please don't don't be alone in your pain. Just reach definitely.
1: out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so many fab resources on the website. So do check it out. And even, even if you know it's not something you need personally, you know it's it's surprising. You know, most most people know somebody yeah. who's been affected by pregnancy loss, don't they? Yes. It's, I think it's one in four. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so even if you don't think you do, you probably will meet someone mm. at some point who's affected by this issue, even if it's not you. So I think it's, to be honest, I mean, know, I'm a bit big advocate for this too, but I think everybody needs to learn more about this subject Absolutely. and know how to support other people. So, yeah, totally recommend that. Jessica, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been so lovely to have you on What's the Story? Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Anna.
0: And just like that, we have reached the end of another fascinating conversation. Now remember to check out CrowdChurch at www.crowd.church even if you might not see the point of church. You see, we are a digital church on a quest to discover how Jesus can help us live a more meaningful life. We are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith and a place where you can contribute and grow. And you are welcome at Crowd Church. Don't forget to subscribe to the What's the Story podcast on your favorite podcast app because we've got a treasure trove of inspiring stories coming your way and we would basically hate for you to miss any of them. And just in case no one has told you yet today, remember you are awesome. Yes, you are. Created awesome. It's just a burden you have to bear. What's the Story is a production of Crowd Church. A fantastic team including Anna Kettle, Seraph Bainon and me Edmondson uh, and Tanya Hutzalak work behind the scenes tirelessly to bring you all these fabulous stories. Our theme song is a creative work of Josh Edmondson. And if you're interested in the transcript or show notes, head over to our website, whatsthestorypodcast.com. And whilst you're there, sign up for our free weekly newsletter to get all of this goodness delivered straight to your inbox. So that's it from all of us this week here at What's The Story. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. We'll catch you next time. Bye for now.